This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Healthcare coverage from Farm Bureau Health Plans is like an extra set of pads when you need them the most. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. That's 75 years. From the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, Indiana. Mike Keith, Amy Welsh, Rhett Bryant, last day at the Combine. Last day, best day. Last day, best day. <laughs> we took yesterday off of an OTP, but going to do one today. In the first segment of the program, NFL draft analyst Todd McShay from ESPN joined to talk about some prospects. And, Rhett, you were kind enough to sit in for me as uh, I had to go to Lucas Oil Stadium at the point that we taped this. to Tell him why, Mike. I was on NFL Network. He's and a I, big deal. I was and a I guest. I was more than glad to fill in just because of that for you. Here's my thing. I wore though. a fancy sport <laughs> coat. Hang on. Hang on. You did wear a fancy sport coat. I did. And I was on the NFL Network. Very fancy. It's Thank a big you. thing. We're very excited for you. Thank you. Great publicity for the old fireball. Love Thank it you. when Mike Keith does that stuff. But we also schedule these well in advance, right. Mike. Like to get some of the big name like analysts, like a Todd McShay, yeah. there are multiple hoops through which you must jump. True. And yet, Mike Keith has a big time conflict with our big time guy. I mean, really? Well, so only you're giving did, him the business about. Well, it. I only did 32 other interviews. No, <laughs> and that's fine. One. But I mean, it's <laughs> the big one. But they asked me to represent the Titans on NFL Network. And Don't you think the OT no. people would have wanted me to do that? The OT people want content. Well, they're going to get the it. Podcast right now without me. Rhett Bryan, Amy Wells, Todd McShay on the OT. Amy Wells and Rhett Bryan here, so excited to be joined by Todd McShay. And Rhett, while we have, I mean, draft royalty here. Oh, that's true. Please, please. It's 100% while, true. While we have him here, what do you say we play a little game, huh? I would like that very much. Okay. Uh-oh. No, it's a good game. I think it's, it's a game. It's a game you will be excel at just, just fine. You can All do right. it in your sleep. We have a list of names here, guys that we are excited to see at the Combine. And we'd love it if we threw out these names. You could just tell us a little bit about these guys, okay. what you've seen, what you like, that kind of stuff. Got it. So we will start with Grant Calcaterra. Calcaterra started at Oklahoma. He's a tight end. He, he had concussions and some medical issues. And he, he was going to retire from football at one point, but he wound up back at SMU. Really good football player. Can catch the ball, tough, aggressive. I thought he was going to be like a third-round pick, you know, before the injuries. But he, he revitalized his, his career at SMU. He had a really good week at the Senior Bowl. I'm hoping he gets drafted in the fifth-round range. You know, it'll be somewhere on day three. And obviously the, the medical part is the biggest concern for him. Let's stay with the uh, tight ends. I'm going to skip one. We've got a wide receiver mixed in there. Cole Turner from Nevada. Interesting prospect. Yeah, he's, he's got some length. He can get down the field. He obviously had Carson Strong throwing to him in Nevada. And, and those two, I got a text actually from my, my old tight end coach at Richmond who was coaching in the game against them. And he's like, he's like the receiver, he just wrote the receiver and the quarterback, they're the real deal. I was like, yeah, I, I know I'm coach. <laughs> but um, but he's but Turner is—he's uh, a guy who can get down the field, and that's what, Carson Strong's best attribute is his ability to to throw the ball like in the bucket, deep throws, and, and he was on the receiving end of a lot of those. 
What about Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin? I like him. The more I watch him, I, the more I like him. He's not the biggest guy, and he's not like Ben flexibility, a great an athlete in that regard, but he's quick and he's he's sudden. And and the thing about him that is elite and stands out, his best trait is his ball skills. I mean, outside of maybe Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, I, I, I would say he's the best pass catcher in terms of ball skills, like contested catches, tracking the deep ball, all those things. He's, he's outstanding. And you read our mind because Jeremy Ruckert of Ohio State was the next place I was going. Yeah, start with the ball. He had one drop this last year. I watched five tapes from the year before and, and didn't see him drop a pass. Now, he's, you're not getting an explosive guy. He's going to run pretty well, but he's not very sudden, and it's not a lot of separation out of his breaks. But he can be an inline blocker. He's tough. He's physical. He can, you can move him around and, and, and have him move block as well. He's your classic possession, probably backup, but reliable, good player for you in the league. And I, I think best case for him would be late third, but more likely early fourth. Let's switch it up in positions a little bit and go to – Alec Lindstrom from Boston College. Yeah, offensive lineman. He's he's the second best offensive lineman from BC this year behind Zion Johnson, who's going to be a late first, but probably more likely early second rounder. But Lindstrom is he's your typical, you know, he's a tough guy. He's he's kind of in his blood. He's physical. Actually, he's a third. There's three offensive linemen because your uh, your head coach has got <laughs> he's got a son in there too, who's not at the combine. I was surprised, but yeah. So they've got three offensive linemen in BC, but but Lindstrom is one of them, and just a real strong baller guy. He's got a little bit of athletic limitations, but he's a good player. Staying with centers and guards, Dylan Parham from Memphis is interesting to me. 51 starts, three different positions on the offensive line. Yep. What about Dylan Parham? I like Dylan Parham. He's rising. He he really is, and he had a really good week at the senior bowl the versatility is the biggest thing with him you know you can play him yeah you can play him at guard you can play him at tackle and and I just think he, he's tough he's physical and he's consistent red in keeping with the uh, the Tennessee theme here what about Cole Strange out of Chattanooga he's another guy he, he's a, a guard most of his career at, at UT Chattanooga but he like like Zion Johnson from BC accepted the offer from the senior bowl to, to move in and play center you know, and did a really good job. I mean, he's, he's got a little work to do, but who wouldn't, you know, first week on the job and, and interviewing in front of 32 GMs and NFL head coaches and all that. So that's a tough spot to be put in, but he handled it really well. He is, he, he moves well, he's strong, he's tough. And I just, I love, uh, part of the evaluation with offensive linemen is just the mindset. And he's got the right mindset. He's going to be a good pro, and I'll be shocked if, he, if he's available after the third round. Todd McShay, let's switch gears. Let's go to wide receivers. Yep. Christian Watson, North Dakota State. The Tampa Tornado, one of the best nicknames. In the, yeah, he's from, <laughs> from North Dakota State, but, but uh, started out at Tampa. He's a burner. At the Senior Bowl, he was 6'3", 205, I want to say, with longer arms, like 32-and-a-half to 33-inch arms, long arms. Every tape, and I know it was FCS, but every tape it's like, He's not just open deep, but he's like five, seven yards behind the guy, <laughs> just running by by defenders. And and he showed it at the Senior Bowl. I thought he had one of, if not the best weeks of all the wide receivers there, which is, it's always important, but it's more important for a, an FCS small school level guy to come out and, and have that kind of week. And I think, you know, we talk about the guys at the top this year, you know, Drake London from USC and, and uh, Jamison Williams, who's going to fall a little bit from Alabama after the injury, but he's a first-rounder. Jahan Dotson, the two Ohio State kids, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. I think I'm missing someone else in there. But there's, there's five or six receivers that will go in the first round. He's in that next tier. 
You know, and there's a bunch of second-round guys, but I think he's going to be one of the first receivers to come off the board after that first tier of six. Now, you mentioned Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Tell me a little bit about him. Might have the best ball skills. We talk about it for tight ends. He might have the best ball skills of all the of all the wide receivers. And he, you know, I think he was about 178 pounds, 5'10 or so. He's just not a big guy. But you're, you know what you're getting. He wasn't a big guy at Penn State, and look at the numbers he had. He, his body control, his ability, like everything he does is so under control. He's going full speed, and he's got good speed. He's like four fours, but everything's just under control. The way he catches the ball, he's, he's already on to the next step after the first step, and, and he does it with ease. And that's what I love about his game. I think he's going to be a great slot receiver in the league. Todd McShay, a young man that improved his stock at the Senior Bowl, University of Tennessee wide receiver Valus Jones. Yes, Valus Jones is intriguing to me because he's got the kick return aspect to his game. He's, he, can, he can flat out run. He's great with the ball in his hands. And he's stronger and tougher than people probably give him credit for. Like A lot of his catches are those quick slants. He's got good contact balance, almost like an Anquan Bolden, you know, built a little bit like a running back with that lower body. And he'll break that first tackle, and then it's about the acceleration and, and, you know, one cut and go. A lot of his bigger plays are just like that quick slant or an underneath route where he, he's just he's getting the ball and he's got to get one guy off of him and then goes. And then, and then the kick, he had the, I think it was like a 99-yard kick return I watched on, on one of the tape. But he, he's, a, he's a unique athlete. He's still kind of developing as a route runner and all those things. But, it, but that's the beauty in this class. Like you can get him in the third round, and he might wind up. He's not Debo Samuel, but you can utilize him in somewhat of a similar role and get like you know a, a Debo Samuel light, which is still a, a pretty good player, and you know can can provide some impact. I mean, that's what you want in this league today. You need guys in space, five yard throw. What can you get me? And and Valus is is one of those guys I think is going to provide more than than what the draft slot would, would indicate. All right, let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball now. Jesse Lukita from Penn State. One of the two Canadians that are going to get drafted, him, <laughs> he and John Mechie from Alabama. You guys are really digging in my brain today. I know. Lucada is a, a, a hybrid defensive and outside linebacker. I think he kind of fits best as a 3-4 outside backer. Has some athletic limitations. He's not like the most explosive guy. Changing directions is not his thing necessarily, but... He, he play, He's just feisty. He's got snap in his hands. He's always working hard to get off of blocks, and, and just he's, he's a tough physical you know, Penn State football player that has grinded it out there. You know, he kind of gets overlooked because they've had so much talent you know, on the defensive side the last few years, but he's just been a really reliable, good player. Just up by 65 from Nashville at Western Kentucky is an edge pass rusher, D'Angelo yeah. Malone. I think he's underrated. You know, Boy, Boye Mafe is getting a lot of love out of Minnesota as an edge rusher. They're kind of similar players. He had that big week at the Senior Bowl. Malone's a little bit more fluid, I think, and he's a better he's a better football player at this point. I can say that, and it's not even a knock to Mafe. Mafe wasn't even a full-time starter earlier this year. He came out off the bench against Colorado, had two sacks in that game, and, and just like kind of had the breakout moment. And from that point on, he's been rising. You've always seen with Mafe the, the physical tools, but D'Angelo's just been a really good player. Like he can drop into coverage, quick first step, really quick with his hands, efficient pass rusher. I, I think he's, he's a little narrow framed, and, and I get it, but he can add some bulk. I think he's going to be a really good player, and I'll be surprised. I mean, worst case, he goes in the third round, but I, I think he's going to be a second-round pick. Prospect coming out of Montana State. Troy Anderson. Yeah, he's first of all, just put him in on special teams right away. And you, <laughs> there's there's your initial contribution. Like, like I can guarantee you, he's going to be a great special teams player. I can just see because he can run. 
you know, he, he he's not like I don't think he's the best like change of direction lateral agility athlete in this draft, but but he can run, he can hit, really good tackler, plays his tail off. I like him. He and, Ch- and Chad Muma were the two guys that really stood out to me at the Senior Bowl. Muma's from Wyoming. That you know you're looking at all these guys from Georgia and Alabama, and you know and, and there's this like. Montana State and Wyoming guys that are kind of running the show at linebacker. It's cool. There's a guy that's a sixth-year man from Nebraska, JoJo Doman. Yeah. A couple of ACLs back-to-back, but has been an okay player. What about JoJo Doman? Plays everything. He's, he's, he's slot corner, overhang, safety, linebacker. He just He can do a little bit of everything. And he's always around the ball. Really instinctive player. He had an interception where he had to, like, he, he was he was in, in coverage – in chase coverage from behind the, the receiver breaks off a route and he not only stops on the dime gets back around but he cuts off the receiver two-handed catch two toes in you know would have been an nfl catch it was, it was an awesome play it was kind of the highlight of his career but uh Dorman can do a little bit of everything it's great to be able to do everything but what can you really do if i if you're stuck on an island against a, a really good tight end or a receiver you know like so I, I want to see his speed numbers, and then and then what's the medical, you know, because he had, right. has had some injuries. But but I think Doman, like if everything checks out and he works out well, I think he's probably a third-round pick. Tell me about Damian Pierce out of Florida. Hard runner. Efficient. Just if there's three yards to get, he's going to get you at least three, maybe four. He loves the game, passionate, plays hard. He uh, catches the ball okay, but he, they didn't give him a lot of reps at Florida. You know, this running back class is is interesting. It's, not, it's certainly not great. There's no first rounder. Brees Hall from Iowa State is, is probably the first guy off the board. And, and he has some holes in his game. I, I like him, but he, he was a, just a, you know, a load carrier at Iowa State. You've got Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M is in that second, third round range. James Cook from Georgia, second, third round range. Kyron Williams from Notre Dame is going to be a third rounder. And those guys all have some versatility, you know, catch the ball, can work in the slot and all that. But Pierce is just a pounder. I mean, you take him in the probably the, I would say fourth. I, my guess is fourth round as just your your number two back who can come in short yardage and just grind it out for you. Todd McShay, ESPN, one last one. You've aced the exam so far. This guy, I think, could be a physical violent runner because he used to be a linebacker. Abram Smith from Baylor, really interesting kid. Never heard of him. <laughs> I wanted you to stump me on the last one. No, uh, Smith. He was a, he was a linebacker. Yeah, he was a linebacker, and really didn't want to make the transition to running back, but he did. And he did his final year, and he was just a workhorse for him. And he runs hard. He runs like a linebacker with the football, but he also can catch a little bit. He's good in pass protection. He's only going to get better with with more reps. But I. I liked him this year. They they leaned on him too. Like Dave Aranda wanted to change everything about that program. Really, the last you know couple coaches there. But the point is, they wanted to be a physical run running football team, and, and he he was the guy. Todd McShay, thank you so much for you taking some time yeah, with us. Fun. This has been fantastic. All right, so it was better without me. Nice job, Brett. Thank <laughs> you, sir. Appreciate that. Well played. <laughs> Rhett was a great a great partner to do that interview. Okay, with. so Rhett's not involved in the next one though because we had a chance to talk with some folks who are involved with our division rivals. First of all, Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Houston Texans. What a bizarre set of circumstances they have been under for a long time and Rhett, it just kind of continues. And it looks like it's going to be that way for at least a couple more weeks. I mean, 
it starts with the quarterback and Deshaun Watson, and then you look at the organizational things. They've had a head coaching change in Lovey Smith. It's still a franchise in disarray. It just keeps getting weirder, but it was good to have a chance to talk with Mark Vandermeer all about it. And we did just that on the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health. Mark, is this offseason calmer for the Houston Texans than was 2021 offseason? My football blood pressure has gone down considerably. Uh, medical checkups are good for me, and that's what it's all about here, Mike, really. Now, it is a lot calmer. I think we've stabilized. You know, we've been through a lot here as an organization, obviously, with everything going on with the quarterback last year, everything going on with David Culley being hired, uh, Nick Casario. It was just we were thrown into upheaval in so many different ways and Cully was magnificent for us in so many different ways because he calmed everybody down but obviously it didn't go well in the field at times it did you know we had a nice win in Nashville sorry to remind you but I don't Thank need you. to uh there were some moments there's no doubt and I think the team played a little bit better as the season went along particularly Davis Mills but we needed to go to the next level whatever that level was going to be needed to take a step forward and certainly Lovey Smith is that for us Lovey's been in the game a long time obviously he's been through a lot of big games and I think that he's the right man for the job right now for the Houston Texans in terms of the quarterback situation while there is a little more of a path to clarity mm -hmm. it's not there yet mm -mm. um what are the rumblings? What are the conversations surrounding Deshaun Watson? And then also what to do after he is no longer a part of the Houston Texans? Well, I believe they go about their business thinking Davis Mills is the quarterback for 2022 and see where it goes from there. Because what we saw out of Davis Mills was kind of a rocky start, but you saw flashes and then he really protected the ball well once he got back into the lineup after they replaced Tyrod Taylor with him. And he had some really good games and some really good calls, too. He had some moments where he made a decision at the line that ended up being a big throw, a game-changing throw, or a series-changing throw. And those are the kinds of things you want to see out of your rookie quarterback. Are they progressing? Are they growing? Is the arrow going up? And you don't know how high that arrow is going to go because, look, it might stop here, but you hope it goes all the way. And I think they really like him. As far as Watson goes, though, they don't. the Texans don't talk about Watson. I mean, they get asked. Nick Casario being asked about him here at the Combine. Lovey Smith as well. Every time they do a, a major public press conference with national media in particular, because the local guys have had their shots, uh, they get asked. But the whole thing is you're waiting for a resolution to occur. You're waiting for maybe the legal investigation to be over with. Obviously, the lawsuits to be settled in some sort of way, either tried out or settled. So there's so many loose ends that need to be tied up before you can move Watson. I just don't know when it's going to be. Personally, I thought during the season, I said, well, you know, there's no guarantee that this happens by the draft because the legal calendar doesn't give a hoot about the NFL calendar. You know, as much as we'd like it to in a pure football context, I realize the allegations are so much more serious than that. But what we're looking at here is football-wise, you'd love to get it done. You just can't until those legal things are taken care of. Yeah, they're not doing that for the NFL purposes. Yeah. For any, it's a great point. The, the point is, too, if the Watson thing goes as it seems like it's going to go and that right. he does not come back to the Texans and you've lost this top five talent mm -hmm. at quarterback, if Davis Mills works out as this steal at number three, 
isn't that the best possible scenario yes. that could come that you would find this guy down the line who doesn't cost you much money for three more years? Yeah, and it's it's unfair to both to compare Mills to Watson, sure. but I get your question and your point here, Mike, because he's drafted in round three. If he stayed in school, he's probably a first-rounder, as long as he Certainly. played that much better in his last year there as opposed to the previous season, 2020, which was a COVID-shortened campaign. He started a half-dozen games at Stanford in 2020, and Nick Casario and company say, let's invest here, a draft choice in Davis Mills, and we'll do his senior year as a rookie in the NFL or however you want to interpret that. So he gets NFL experience, playing time, just goes through a few of the battles, and now he's ready to be your starter for 2022. I think it's terrific for them in the context of where they're at, and let's just see where he goes. Look, they have some other rookies too. Roy Lopez did well on the D-line. Nico Collins looked pretty good as a receiver at times. Uh, Brevin Jordan had some moments at tight end. Nick Casario had five draft choices uh, last year, only five, and they all did something. So now he's got more. We have a first and second round pick for only the second time in the last five years, right? And the first time, and it's amazing. It's a, because of the Watson deal and, you know, Osweiler deal with a second rounder involved and obviously the Laramie Tunsil thing. So now you finally have a full slate in the draft without making a deal for Watson. And if you do make a deal, well, maybe you get a whole lot more picks. We'll see what happens. There you go. In terms of positions of need, before we get to the draft, we've mm -hmm. got free agency. Are there some spots that the Texans could be able to maybe bolster, increase a little bit through free agency? They have to. They have to because last year they signed, it felt like 70 players. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it was over 50 players that were new on the offseason roster. All right. So on the 90, yet over 50. Okay. And that does happen from time to time with clubs but this was a lot because you knew that based on what they were losing a lot of these guys would end up playing and they did so I go to the OTAs and it feels like as a play-by-play -play guy you know how it feels like when you go to a joint practice Mike and you're looking at the other team's roster you're really getting to know that team for a preseason game sure and you have that little advantage the week up that's what the OTAs felt like to me I don't know who these guys are, you know. They're, I mean, I, I've heard of them and I've seen them around, but Kamu Grugier-Hill comes in and players like that who ended up contributing for us. So that was cool. But yet over 30 new players on the 53-man roster when it was all said and done. So they're going to lose some of these guys because they were all one- or two-year contracts. So it was just, let's see what we got. Maybe we re-sign some. Maybe we don't. We just go for a whole new harvest next year, meaning this offseason, and that's where we're at right now, Amy. What's the priority at three, in your opinion? Or what mm. are the priorities at three? I, I honestly, I hate to go cliche, but I think it's best player available for them because I don't know how they really feel about the O-line. And Laramie got an injury, and he, he got a thumb injury, but ended up not playing again. And I don't know if the thumb was the biggest part of that. So I'm not sure if – and I think it was a mutual thing, if anything. So I'm not sure what his status is moving forward, but he's on the team right now, so it would be great to have him back. But what if they move him? I mean, there have been some rumors from outside the building about that kind of thing taking place. Who knows? Uh, big contract, obviously a terrific player. You'd love to have him. But I bring him up because Titus Howard was playing left tackle toward the end of the year, did a nice job. And that's kind of where Brian Gain thought he would go when he drafted him back – in uh, 2019. So you'd love to see if 
Titus Howard could do something at left or right tackle. They played him a lot at guard early on in the season, actually for the bulk of the season. Didn't go as well as you wanted it to. I'm not a big evaluator of the offensive line. I just know what I read and hear and things like that, and I pick up. Because, you know, I'm I'm looking at the ball most of the time. Sure. <laughs> but I think that uh, as far as that, I'm, I'm giving you a long answer here. But maybe O-line because they're attractive O-linemen up high, right? I don't know if they go for Hamilton. I don't know if he's there. You know, I think Hutchinson's gone. I don't see him passing through Detroit, you know, without getting selected. You know, we were joking this morning that um, Campbell's going to, you know, trade from two to one just to make sure he can get him. Get so the I, Michigan guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It, because once he sits down with him, he's going to say, oh, this isn't our guy. we got to have him. So uh, I think it's the best possible player they can get. I would say a trade down has a coin flip shot. I would say it's 50-50 that he could trade down. But then at that point, you wonder – who's going to trade up and for who at that point, right? Because nobody's trading up for a quarterback, we think. We think, but, you know, this is still relatively early, right? It's relatively. Here we are at the combine. Well, listen, I mean, we were sitting here when Kyler Murray, all of us were, Mm -hmm. when Kyler Murray got measured, and when he measured 5'10", suddenly here in the room he went into the first round, and then eventually – Went to the number one pick right. overall, but right. he was not being talked about as a first-round pick because people thought he might measure 5'8". Right. I go back to the 2014 draft, okay? Here we are at the Combine, and you've got Manziel, you've got Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Blake Bortles, right? And Bortles ends up third overall. I know. Now, no one at the Combine, I don't think, called that. Nope. No way. Nope. No way. If anything, somebody somebody's going to reach for Manziel at that point because the, he was still a hot commodity at that point. Even in the first round that year, oh, Manziel's dropping. He dropped. It was surprising. Yes, it yeah. was surprising at the time. And Bridgewater, he's dropping because there was a time when Bridgewater was thought, like toward the end of his last college year, that he was going to be the number one pick in the draft because right. yeah. the Texans were getting the number one pick. Now, I was really tuned into that side of things because obviously the Texans were looking for a quarterback at that point and I thought who are they going to get but they didn't get any of those guys with a new coaching staff Mm -hmm. usually there comes a culture shift of some sort right there is a new identity that seems to form Levy Smith has been within the Houston Texans organization do you expect to see that big culture shift especially when it comes to assembling the personnel that will become the 22 Texans team that's a great question and I'm eager to see how Lovey Smith and Nick Casario work together in selecting players because as a GM Casario's got to select who he thinks is right for the team but who he thinks is right for the team has to fit into what Lovey wants to do and Pep Hamilton as the offensive coordinator I'm curious about the offense because Tim Kelly was still running that Bill O'Brien Patriot thing which was really good if you're Tom Brady and if you're not I think it's a whole lot more difficult to run. Ryan Fitzpatrick told me that's the most complicated offense he's ever run, right? And he's run every offense in the league twice, right? <laughs> so, and be, and has well, he's been, played for four NBA teams right. as well. <laughs> he's been reintroduced to it twice. Yeah. Right. So he said it was very complicated. Mills could handle it mentally, but the processing time, I mean, its we're talking about hundreds of a second in order to make things happen in an offense. So I'm wondering if they simplify it a little bit. I think that'll be cool. But I think that having Lovey there for a year, knowing the building and the people and just the general surroundings does help. 
But let me tell you, it's so different. He's the defensive coordinator. Now he's the head coach. Completely different vibe in the building. Everybody's really responding to it. Now, Cully, David Cully was incredibly positive, and I think he was exactly what we needed in so many ways following the Bill O'Brien era. But having no David Cully anymore, having Lovey Smith in there, guy who's been through it all, I think it's wonderful. You know, I, And I loved working with Cully. I absolutely love the man, and I would have run through a wall for him. But I love having Lovey because... Like I said, you know, there's no substitute for all that experience. From Houston and Mark Vandermeer, we go to Jacksonville and ESPN's Mike DiRocco, who has covered the team for quite some time. In Jacksonville, rays of sunshine, and unlike Houston where the clouds are still over them, they feel like the sky has cleared in Jags land and they're ready to move forward with Doug Peterson. That sunny Florida sun, I guess. That sunny Florida <laughs> sun. sunny Florida sun. Well played by you. Yeah, thank you. I like the analogy and I was trying to run with it. But yes, it feels like there is a breath of fresh air kind of coursing through the Jags organization and it was exciting to hear about it. And the thing about the positivity that it seems to be increasing in the sunny Florida sunshine there. <laughs> the sunny Florida sunshine. And the report came out, Shad Khan has put on hold the, the search for an executive vice president in this because the first three-plus weeks that he's had with new head coach Doug Peterson have been so productive and so good, he didn't want to do anything to stymie that. And so that tells you things are looking better for them and – it's going to be very interesting in these next few weeks to see what they do to protect their investment in Trevor Lawrence and everything else they're building there in Jacksonville. Let's hear more about the Jacksonville Jaguars from Mike DiRocco. This interview we taped here at the Combine with Mike on the OTP. Mike, when you heard Doug Peterson's name mentioned as a possibility to be Jacksonville's coach, did it immediately make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely, because his name as well as Jim Caldwell's name were the first two that came up, and I thought after what this franchise has just been through, they need a little bit of stability. They need a guy that knows what he's doing. They need a guy that's had some success in the league, and they need a guy that knows how to win and knows what it is to, to work and coach in the NFL. So I thought either one of those two guys would be a home run hire for the Jags, and obviously with Doug Peterson you get a guy who not only won a Super Bowl but won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as a starting quarterback, and I've seen Nick Foles play the last several years, and that might be the biggest notch on his resume is winning that Super Bowl with Nick Foles. In talking to people kind of around the Jags organization, they've said that there's definitely a culture shift that has come with Doug Peterson. What have you noticed in whatever interactions or dealings you've had with him in a difference, maybe in his style or the way that things might be operating? I think the biggest difference you find is, is not from the front-facing people, but the people sort of behind the scenes, the equipment staff guys, the, the support staff people. I mean, they're smiling now. They're happy. They feel the energy in the building. Uh, you know, it had gotten to a point where it, people didn't almost want to go to work uh, when, it's, when things are as bad as they are. And there was a was feeling. Was that of, Urban Meyer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Urban Meyer, absolutely. It's a sense of us versus you. There was a sense of division between the football side and, and the non-football side, and, and that's gone away, and, and people are happy to go to work. You can kind of tell there's some enthusiasm. There's hope. You know, I think there was hope when Urban got hired, but slowly sort of dissipated, and then after they you know, opened up the season against the Texans and looked totally unprepared, 
it sort of just went out the window, and now there's more hope again. And again, people look back and go, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. So he knows what it takes, and I think people are starting to feed off of that. You know, you talk about hope, and the hope for the Jacksonville Jags right now is Trevor Lawrence. His development in year one was a little little uh, up and down, we'll say. Go it was that. a little sure. chaotic. Absolutely. Um, but what do they do in year two? Do you almost have to start over from ground zero and build back up with a guy like that? Or is there still some sort of a foundation that can be built upon, especially with someone like Doug Peterson, who's good at doing that? Yeah, I, and I think we have to, for, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I think there is a foundation there. Absolutely. I mean, the last game of the season against the Colts, that's what we all expected Trevor Lawrence to look like all season. And it's no coincidence that it was without Urban Meyer and all the distraction and dysfunction that that finally emerged. And that's kind of the way you have to look at Trevor Lawrence's first season on the field. With all the stuff that was going on, all the distractions, the dysfunction, and the fact that his two of his better receivers got hurt and they really didn't have much ammunition, offensive playmakers around him at all to begin with, and they really couldn't afford to lose a bunch of guys. And then you have the whole James Robinson benching. Was he benched? Was he not benched? Why was he benched? Who's, who benched him? I don't know. Who, you know. Urban Meyer asked the running backs coach. So you kind of kind of look at all of that together to kind of evaluate the way he played in the season because you, you saw him come up and stand in front of us every week, and, and his leadership was amazing. I mean, other guys weren't coming in there and talking to us and, and explaining what was going on and answering for just the unbelievable amount of stuff that's going on there. It fell to a rookie a 21, 22-year-old rookie, and he handled it like a 15-year vet. So from that standpoint, it was fantastic. But there's no doubt that this kid has all the skills, and the priority now is just getting enough people around him to help him develop. When Trevor Lawrence stepped up and said something about James Robinson, Mm -hmm. when he said, we need James Robinson, and then the Urban Meyer thing went down and Urban Meyer – quits or fired or whatever it was. He's gone. (laughs) And Trevor Lawrence continued to speak like, this is what we need to have happen. Following on your point, Mm -hmm. was that the biggest thing he got done in his rookie season was the fact that he showed that he was up to the leadership sort of status that a franchise quarterback, the face of the franchise, has to have to be successful? 100%, without question. Yeah, I mean, even when Urban was still there, he's, right. ta- he's talking about we need, we can't have distraction anymore. These distractions are bad. This has got to stop. We can't win games like this. I didn't expect him to do that. I didn't either, you know, because here's the thing. He's never had that kind of adversity because it was always great in high school. Right. You know, maybe he had COVID, you know, in college, but he won a national championship, he beat Alabama as a freshman. I mean, he won a ton of games. You know, he never faced any of that. So the first time he faces it is as a rookie in the NFL, where generally a lot of rookie players are told just shut up and show up. Quarterbacks have to be leaders anyway, but the fact that he stood up and put the rest of the team on his back and said to them, look, I'm your guy, follow me, we'll get through this. I think that one if there was any doubt in that organization that he could be the guy, that absolutely erased it. So how do you help Trevor Lawrence? What pieces do you need to help him continue to build momentum and be successful? Well, they've got to fix uh, some spots on the offensive line, especially at left tackle, whether they decide to franchise Cam Robinson, which I don't think is going to happen, whether they put in Walker Little, who they drafted last year in the second round, or they take one of the tackles at number one. That's got to be a spot that's solidified. And then the next thing is you got to find him some playmakers. I mean, the, the Jaguars led the league with 33 drops, and those are ESPN stats. And I'll be honest with you, I think they were way more lenient on drops than I would have been 
because I would count it during a game and I'd have like six and then I'd look at the, the stats from ESPN and it'd be like three. And I'm like, okay, they're a little bit less harsh than I am. But the bottom line is they need playmakers and they don't have any. Marvin Jones, a fine receiver. At this point in his career, he's a number three, maybe a number two, and that was the guy last year. It's a good draft for receivers. Uh, there's some good receivers available in free agency, so get this kid some playmakers. That's the number one thing. Everything that they do this offseason, and really every offseason going forward, has to be with the mindset of what do we do to make Trevor better or what do we do to help him be successful. Nine takeaways for the defense? Yeah, that's not a lot, is it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, and there was an extra game. Uh, that's not a lot. So what did they – and I'm not making fun. You know, oh, because, we did, but well, don't worry about it. But no, but I mean, we, hey, we've been there before. Yeah. So I, and I know it, it, it all swings around. It's all cyclical. But what did they do on defense in free agency and the draft to sort of bolster that whole thing? Their overall defense w- – wasn't awful. No, it was better than it was the year before. Right, right. It, I mean, they did some. They did some nice things, and uh, we know Mike Caldwell. We're excited about him. He's a Tennessee Sports Hall of Famer. Oh, I way. didn't know that. He's from Oak okay. Ridge, Tennessee, and played at Middle Tennessee State. And so he's a guy that we think highly of. Don't like he's in the division, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but he's got some things to work with. What else needs to be added, Mike, for Mike Caldwell to work with to improve the defense? Well, it's a, it's a conundrum here with the number one pick, too, because they need to find a complimentary pass rusher to Josh Allen because Josh Allen is a good player, but his best year came when he had Clays Campbell and Unique Ngakwe with him on the field. So they've got to find somebody else to put on the other side. Caleb on Chason, who they drafted in the first round two years ago, is not it. I think he's got two sacks in two years. That's just for the 20th overall I think they pick. were both against the Titans. <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's not good. So they've got to find – a complimentary rusher there, and you know you could do that at one, obviously with Hutchinson or Thibodeau, and they need to be a little bit better at linebacker than they were. I think the secondary you could get by with what they have right now. I think they're okay at safety, really. Probably could add a corner, but honestly, you know Damian Wilson, who is a free agent or will be a free agent, is uh, was their best linebacker last year. Miles Jack had just an it wasn't an awful year, but it was not a notable year. Like, you didn't notice him on the field, and that's not good for a guy that the year before arguably could have been a pro bowler. So they've got to find ways to get him more involved, and they've got to get him some help in that linebacker because that's probably where they're the weakest on defense. What's the trajectory for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Like, we are familiar with the uh, the relationship between the Titans and the Jags. It seems that if the that's Jags that's an are, abusive relationship from the, the Jaguar standpoint. It, it, it hasn't always been. <laughs> no, if the Jags are going to have a bright spot, it's going to come out against the Tennessee always. Titans yeah. always. Yeah. So, what is that bright spot? What is the reason for optimism for Jags fans? Well, you know, the most important thing, as you guys know, you got to have the quarterback, and they believe they have it, and I think they do as well. I mean, you've got the major foundational piece. You've got a coach who understands what it's like to, A, play in the league and to be successful and win at a high level. And, and he did something really smart. He, his quarterback's coach, his passing game coordinator, and the offensive coordinator, all former quarterbacks, all of them played in college. Uh, and, and he obviously, Doug Peterson, was a longtime backup. So he's got the support system around Trevor Lawrence. And there are some pieces here. You know, Josh Allen, like I mentioned, Shaq Griffin, the corner. They feel like they've got a couple of young guys at tight end. I'm not so sure I agree with that. But, you know, James Robinson, Travis Etienne, that's the guy that we don't know what they're going to get out of. But that could be a big-time playmaker, or he could be a big-time playmaker for them. So there's a few pieces here. But I think if Jags fans are expecting eight wins this year and then, oh, they're in the playoffs the year after, 
I, that's probably a little too optimistic. Even Doug Peterson said, hey, look, this is not an overnight fix. They've got to get better in a lot of spots. All right, we'll end with this. Mm-hmm. So they have pick one, pick 33, pick 65, and pick 70. Mm-hmm. So they got four of the top 70. By most estimates right now, 50-plus million dollars in cap room? Yes. Okay. How aggressive are they going to be free agency-wise and draft-wise? Trent Baalke, the GMs the other day, said very aggressive. But he also said that last year, and he's a value-free agent guy. So I don't expect them to go after big-time, high-priced free agents. If they do, it'll be one of the wide receivers if they're available. Maybe an Allen Robinson. I don't know about Chris Godwin, but I don't think there's any way Devontae Adams leaves Green Bay anyway. But that's beside the point. So they've got to be a little bit aggressive at that position because if you can fix that spot— you get a big-time guy in, in, in free agency or two guys in free agency, and then you draft another one out of a really good group of receivers with that first pick in the second round. You can get a George Pickens, a Johan Dotson. I mean, then all of a sudden, you've got some playmakers there for Trevor Lawrence. So I think that has to happen for them to have successful offseason. All right, that's our last day of combine activity. We're going to head to Nashville. We're going to have another OTP tomorrow, Tuesday, March the 8th, which is very exciting because we'll be back, but we still have lots of other stuff that we've gathered. Rhett, you covered the podiums with the players. Something you really enjoyed, huh? I really enjoyed that because you get a glimpse of being able to talk to these young men, and you can tell the ones who have been polished and trained with their public relations folks or or their agents in this, but some just brutally, blatantly honest and just very raw. You just kind of get to see a, a little bit of personality from some of these guys, and there was some really good ones in there, and a lot of guys that had talked to the Titans. Well, it'll be interested to see if they become Titans in the next few weeks. But, yeah, it's uh, it's entertaining to go from podium to podium to talk to these young men. You ready to go home? One more stop at Steak and Shake, please, and then we can go home. All right. We've got it all set up for you. I love that. For Amy <laughs> Wells so and Red Ryan, I'm Mike Keith. For our friends at Farm Bureau Health Plans, to the OT people, we say thank you for listening to the OT Welcome to the big show where the legends go. Everybody knows it's our house. Fighting for Tennessee, making it.